We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Ish List, where we make lists about everything. Everything! Everything! Congratulations, bitches! You just made the list! Welcome to another episode of The Ish List. I'm the music guy, CJ Plain, and uh, you know what we do here? We have a lot of fun bringing you random, funny, uh, sometimes serious, uh, top ten lists of crazy shit. Um, we, you've heard us talk about music, and the... So far, you know, we've done a lot of the music stuff. We've done the top 10 uh, best TV villains, uh, the books that you should read before you die. Uh, This time, we're going to get into a topic that we have not covered yet. Uh, We are going to talk some wrestling. Um, And with that said, uh, over here uh, with me uh, is a gentleman you have heard on The Noise Report. And you've heard me on his show. Uh, it is Mr. Matt Gardner, and uh, you know him, Electric Soil Recordings, and uh, Ground Level Falcons, and lots of other amazing content that he brings you, um, and uh, like I said, we're going to talk wrestling today. How are you? Fine, sir. I'm great, man. Thanks uh, Thanks for that introduction. Appreciate that. And yeah. yeah, really happy to be on the show. I remember uh, we kind of teased this, uh, I want to say back in September, we had uh, our last show together, and you mentioned you were kind of getting uh, some content and ideas together for the show. So I'm uh, yeah. uh, equal parts uh, ecstatic to be on the show, the actual show itself, and to be the first uh, wrestling uh, you know, themed show is, is fantastic. I'm super stoked about that. I didn't even know that until you just mentioned that, so that's super cool. Yeah, like we've uh, we've covered a lot of the music stuff. We've covered some book stuff. We've covered uh, horror movies, uh, top ten horror and slasher films. Um, I haven't gotten into the wrestling stuff much, and I haven't really gotten into the movie stuff like I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And I got to give you credit because you kind of are partly responsible for this with your when you had me on the you know the ten things and. I had yeah, the idea for a long time. It was the original idea was more. It was going to be like a round table, and it was mm. going to be okay. Um, I, I come up with a list of either three movies or three CDs or three books, something, um, and you kind of you know read them or listen to them, and then the two or three guests that for that show get together and we just kind of have a round table discussion, kind of like comic book men, kind of in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, that's kind of random. I thought, you know what, let me do a top ten list because top ten lists are always fun. And, you know, you always end up in those situations where you're sitting around with your friends and you're like, you know, who's the greatest baseball player? Who's the greatest singer? Who's the greatest this and that? And it's hard to pick just one. So, you know what, let's make a top ten list of, and you know, and and I wanted it to be stuff that wasn't just the same old, same old. Um, Totally. So, you know, everyone wants a guitar list. So, top 10 guitarists, that's kind of boring to me. So, mine is going to be the top 10 guitarists not named Eddie Van Halen. Um, Ah. Because 
everybody, yes. you pretty much know everyone's going to put Eddie as number one. So, sure, uh, just sure, get that out of the way and make people actually think about it. So, um, <laughs> so today, our topic is the top ten all-time best wrestling angles or storylines, if you want to refer to them as storylines. Um, <laughs> There have been many over the years, of course. You know, you have NWA, WCW, WWE. Uh, you have TNA, Impact, whatever you want to call that monstrosity. Uh, you have AEW now. Yeah. Um, it's pretty hard to, I think, to narrow down to 10 singular ones, but I think there's a few that we're probably going to have in common that you know, obviously are going to be there because you can't be a wrestling fan probably and not have them on the list. So, um, sure, I'm thinking there will be some overlap for sure. But yeah, be, yeah, be interesting to see. Um, with that said, we are going to let him kick it off with his number ten. So, just a quick question for you, uh, as far as like, is this is number one my number one, or is yes. it kind of like are they interchangeable? Uh, ten down. We're going. So ten is le- ten is legit by ten. Yeah, is legit by nine. Yeah, we're counting. We're, okay. we're counting down to number one, Casey Kasem style. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, well, I will definitely have to do a little bit of thinking on my feet because I had them as uh, uh, somewhat interchangeable as far as. Uh, but that's okay. I, I'm I'm usually quick at, uh, at doing this kind of thing. Okay. You know what? So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with number ten. I want to give a little bit of backstory as far as my fandom, as far as uh, professional wrestling. So I started yeah, watching. Actually, start by. Start by yeah. telling people that haven't heard before who you are, what you do, and a little bit about yourself, oh, yeah. fandom, and all of that. Sure. So, Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. So you kind of touched on it a little bit. So I do a podcast, uh, a couple podcasts, actually. Um, I've had uh, this gentleman on. I've been uh, lucky to have him on uh, for, for both the shows, in fact. So I do Electric Soil Podcast. And that's sort of a, uh, I guess, a variety show in a sense, but it's uh, it's all based on like a growth mindset. So we're talking about artists, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, business owners, uh, uh, personal trainers, anybody that's uh, for for the growth and the expansion of uh, you know the people and helping people. It's a, so it's a it's sort of a yeah variety show as far as growth mindset. I also do a music podcast called Ten Albums, and to you know to this point here is as far as. Um, Basically, counting down your the soundtrack of your life, I call it. So it's the ten most influential, game changing albums to you personally. So, for example, my my, my favorite band is Pearl Jam. Whereas, uh, if I were to suggest somebody that's never heard of Pearl Jam an album, it might be a different one. I would might say like Yield because it's kind of like the culmination of uh, you know it's almost like them in their prime. But for me personally. Uh, Pearl Jam Versus was my personal favorite, and I have so much uh, stories, personal stories attached to it. So that's how you sort of rank uh, your ten albums that way. So it's uh, very fascinating because uh, I just I love the stories behind uh, why people like albums, and uh, it's and there's always some guilty pleasures in there because you're going to go back into like your childhood where there's some stuff that you uh, might not necessarily listen to now, but still had a profound effect on you, or you shared it with your dad, or right. like a story that you had, right? It's, as far as that goes so i i love those stories man and that's like music brings people together in such a uh, yeah. such a cool way that uh, no other art medium does so uh those are the two podcasts to do and uh i am also in the band ground level falcons and uh you can find us on any streaming site there so ground level falcons three words uh no intentional misspellings or anything it's spelled correctly 
and you can find us on yeah spotify uh apple music we just released our latest lp yeah and that was back in september and it's uh it's doing fairly well for us getting some nice reviews and some uh radio play in, in uh in around 20 countries right now so it's, it's doing quite well for us so we're happy with that and aside from that yeah dude i'm just uh I'm just pivoting in my career right now. I'm, I'm getting into uh, coaching, so like life coaching. Nice. And so, of course, I'm just kind of starting my uh, coaching practices uh, as far as that goes as well. So that's uh, that's a little bit about me and what I'm doing. And I don't, do you want me to quickly uh, do a little blurb about my uh, wrestling uh, fandom sure. as well? Yeah. Beauty. Beauty. So, yeah, I, I started watching uh, wrestling. Uh, I'm from Prince George, British Columbia, Canada. So we only had, we had Peasant Vision. We had three channels. And <laughs> 1988... I, I, all we had exposed to up in Prince George in 1988 was WWF. And that was enough to get me, uh, it's like anybody, when you talk to a wrestling fan, it's like, there's just something about it that just clicks with you right away. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was the first thing I ever saw was, um, an interview segment where it's like Sean Mooney in the back locker room area with Mr. Perfect. And then for Mr. Perfect, he was against the Blue Blazer. Mm -hmm. Of course, everybody knows his own heart. And I, I didn't know anything about Owen Hart or who these people were. So I loved Mr. Perfect's interview. And then it flipped over to the Blue Blazer. Blue Blazer, you know, looking like superhero-like with his, uh, his costume and everything, and doing the woo and all that. And then they went out and had this, like, crazy cool match. And I was like, I was hooked. After that, I was like, man, this is amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. And you had to kind of survive through the whole, like... Uh, you know that stuff's not real right like my dad yeah. always give me razz me for watching but dude i was so hooked and i was so pleasantly surprised in the 90s when the attitude era made wrestling mainstream i'm like finally i don't have to be like a hide my wrestling fandom right because i just love this stuff and uh and you know that was yeah short i wouldn't say shortly it was a good three four year stint where like man you could buy like wrestling vhs's at gas stations and <laughs> you know the you could get like austin 316 shirt at like the get not the gas yeah. but you get what i mean right where it was yeah. just like everywhere and i so i loved that um and then after that like everybody kind of petered out uh you know after wcw uh was bought by wwe and that's kind of when things kind of petered out i continued to watch i enjoyed it um I think now nowadays I'm 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 huge into AEW. I'm, I'm yeah. very much enjoying AEW. WWF or sorry WWE I guess now. Oh man, it's been the last 8 months. It's been a long time coming. It's been very gradual that I've kind of fallen out of love with it, but specifically yeah. I always watch the pay-per-views on WWE Network and I want to say last SummerSlam and last Survivor Series because I always like those big four. You got your mm -hmm. Rumble, Royal Rumble, uh, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. So I've always put a lot of like hope and weight in those pay-per-views. Mm -hmm. And dude, they just haven't really delivered. No. And even this last Royal Rumble. That was a mess. So even this this year in the Royal Rumble, I just found it. It was just flat. It, I usually, the Rumble has always been my favorite just because of the uh, the Rumble match itself. But honestly, by the end of the evening, the, the men's Royal Rumble, and there wasn't that too many surprises. Like, I guess mm -hmm. the Brock Lesnar surprise, but it was kind of like, ah. I've seen that coming like, from a mile. You, you know what? Did you? Yeah. And it's just kind of like, just, did he really need, you know what I mean? There's so many questions. I knew. So anyways, that's. Yeah, I knew that whoever yeah. lost either Brock or Roman was going to be, be the, the final one in and win it because yeah. it was the only logical way to set up the WrestleMania thing. Right. You, you can't right. you can't bring them both in as champions. So one of them has to drop the belt. Now, I right. kind of 
was more leaning towards Roman dropping it to Seth than what they did because to me Seth is just a much more believable character than mm. what Bobby is. Like Bobby just Right. Right. I get Bobby has all the physical attributes but he's about as interesting as watching paint dry. You know, like he just <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, is yeah, like yeah. who are you going to put against Bobby? that is going to make you even care. Like, there's really nobody, like, you're going to flip Seth to that? Because there's just nobody. Now they're all, Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, like... That's the one thing that we don't need again. You know? Yeah. Like, at this point, to me, I think the most... The best thing they can do is bring Rick Steiner's son up from NXT... Sure. Give him give him his name back. For Christ's sake, that Braun Breaker name is the Braun dumbest Breaker. name. And it's completely yeah. freaking obvious that he's a fucking Steiner. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. denying the fact that this kid is a Steiner is just completely asinine. You yeah, know, and it's, it's just another... It's yeah, it's just proof that Vince really needs to step away because... I mean, here's a kid who... He looks like Rick. He wrestles like Rick. And the second he opens his mouth, he's 100% Scott. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. everything about the yeah. kid just screams, you know, yeah. Big Daddy or, or uh, whatever. Big Papa Pump. Big Papa yeah. Pump. That's what I, I want to say. Big Daddy Cool. But, um, yeah, yeah, Big Papa Pump, yeah. you know. So bring the kid up. Put him against Bobby. You got the muscle versus the muscle, the charisma. Elevate the kid. Put him where he needs to be and... I don't know. Just, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Like, the whole Rumble thing. Yeah. I knew Ronda was going to win the women's. Yeah. That was, one leaked. It's just, that happens, right? Yeah, like, it just, like I said, I'm with you. Like, WWE, to me, has not been interesting in months. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Just with that said. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. One um, other thing, just because we're having, while we're kind of in the negativity, before we bring it out of the into the, the positivity the whole like egg like it's kind of funny but like the Vince McMahon thought oh, this egg you know the, the whole Austin theory the rock <laughs> gave him an egg at Survivor Series like what is going on man that's like one of those things like if you're you know your girlfriend comes in the room or something you're just kind of like embarrassed so you're like ah you're literally, that's kind of those like why are you watching this I'm like good question yeah <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a train wreck egg. theory you know you you know yeah. it's a train wreck, but you can't look away. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So too funny, but yeah. Um, quick so, rundown so on my fandom. I've been a fan for as long as I can remember, going all the way back to the NWA days. Um, my uncle watched it, and I got into it. I become a major fan uh, the first time I seen the Rock and Roll Express. Um, nice. I religiously watched it on Saturdays, uh, NWA, which turned into WCW, uh, for the sole reason, uh, two reasons. Now, one, Rock and Roll Express, uh, and two, uh, because Nikita Koloff scared the shit out of me as a kid. Um, nice. Just the most... I mean, I, I get it. He's nothing like that in real life. He's actually a minister in North Carolina now. Um <laughs> But it, during that time, Nikita Koloff was one of the most ferocious, just most terrifying characters. Like, it, it wasn't terrifying in the sense of, like, Aleister Black or Bri, Bray, 
Um, but he was this big, massive Russian who scowled and was mean and just beat the hell out of everybody. I mean, he was like Goldberg on steroids. Um, and he had that Russian sickle move, man, where he would clothesline somebody and it would just, they would flip like three times through the air before they landed. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, and he just, he, he was that dude that, you know, as soon as he walked in the ring, he was so menacing that you would just kind of scared to even watch what was going to happen. To the right. Guy. Like you felt bad for anyone who got stuck in the ring with him. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, um, I've been a fan my whole life, so um, I know a lot about this as well, too. So um, Nice. Excellent. So with that said, number 10 for you. Number 10 for me. Is, I'm going to do a little Vince McMahon impression here. That's got to be Kane. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I actually do another, uh, like a, podcast called one year in wrestling with my friend and we we go back into uh like a certain year in wrestling so we just did uh last year we did 97 and um and then this year we're doing 98 obviously so okay uh, it was it's wicked to go back and watch all the pay-per-views every month and, and see how they hold up because obviously you have like this you know, yeah. mental image when you're like a teenager how wicked it was and honestly man like kane the the, the whole kane introduction thing i had as like an honorable mention, but then after rewatching it and the whole bad blood, like the hell in the cell and just how badass Kane was initially right off the bat. And then how mm-hmm. that led into the, the storytelling with the whole undertaker lead into the WrestleMania for 1998. It's actually pretty damn good, man. Uh, and just what, what became of Kane and the fact he was like Isaac Yankum and the book, the bogus diesel beforehand and Glenn Jacobs, the whole thing, how many times he reinvented himself, the mask, the no mask, the, you know, the tag team with RVD, just everything starting from that. Isaac uh, Yankum. Yeah. Isaac Yankum DDS. (laughs) The whole thing was so well done. And that's one of my favorite Vince McMahon calls. I believe that's his last pay-per-view or one of his last pay-per-views he did a commentary for. So that's one of the, the last great Vince McMahon quotes. That's gotta be Kane. So uh, yeah, the Kane angle is my number 10. Nice. Um, Number 10 for me, I kind of, cheated um i just put anything with jim Cornette because uh, Cornette Cornet. is just uh jim Cornette and bobby heenan were, were pretty equal on uh, no matter yeah, what they cheap. did they were always entertaining man like they just have that knack for yes doing what is necessary for that like they they never let you down like you know, whether you love them or whether you hate them, um, you know, and some of the most classic lines ever delivered uh, came from those two. Um, mm. Bobby Heenan, my all-time favorite. I remember, it was very early in the uh, Raw, uh, when they first started the Raw thing, um, mm. when it, they used to have the, uh, they were they were in the, like, the little thing with the bleachers and all that, and they used to go back and forth between the commentary and going to the actual matches. And yes. uh, I'll never forget the <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon. Bobby Heenan was wearing a UCLA shirt. And uh, Bob, Gorilla said something about Bobby's shirt. And he goes, oh, yeah. He's like, he's like, I only wear this. I only wear this on a sunny days. And Gorilla looked at me. He's like, what? 
He's like, yeah, on a sunny day, UCLA. <laughs> and I was like, that was just the greatest oh, pun. Man, like, that's pretty clever. Yeah, like pretty it clever, was just yeah. the way Bobby delivered it with his, you know, he had the stupid look on his face and whatnot. Yeah. And Gorilla's just looking oh, at him yeah. like, did yeah. you really just say that? <laughs> and yeah. I cackled laugh. Like it was just one of them. It was just, it was just timing. Like I said, they, him and Cornette just were so great at, always saying the right thing when you needed it, you know? Um, totally. And, totally. And still, Cornette's still on his podcast. He still says some of the most outlandish shit that... Um, I love his I love his podcast, man. He's, so, he's such a talented communicator. Yeah. Uh, the way he and a historian, riffs. man. Like, oh, the man. dude knows. Yeah, historian. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree. Nice, Cornette. Yeah. So, I like it. So number 10 for me. Anything with Jim Cornette, because... You know, (laughs) number number nine. (laughs) So number nine, I went with the uh, Austin Rock, but specifically the the uh, the WrestleMania trilogy they had. I'm always a sucker for you know uh, the story, long term storytelling, a trilogy. You know, a best of three series that you know over the the three WrestleManias, right? So seventeen being like the uh, I guess the most well known one for the fact that Steve Austin turned in Houston and it was kind of a you know it's a limited. guess uh, limited uh, fanfare as far as even Steve Austin himself mentioning he probably shouldn't have turned heel it was sort of a strange thing to do Jim Ross used the quote the soundbite it's like you know John Wayne turning heel right it just wasn't uh, you know and it kind of led to like a weird uh, you know humorous Steve Austin where he's like wearing the cowboy hat with Kurt Angle and all that but you know to get back to like the context of him and the rock like that is you know yeah that's like our generation's, uh, you know, uh, Macho Man, Hogan, I guess, or uh, something along those lines, right? So, And it led to Steve Austin's last match. And he's one of the only guys in wrestling history that actually had his last match and has never come back. I mean, yeah. so far. You know, even Michaels, who you thought was going to be, he had the, the old uh, that weird match in, in Saudi Arabia there. But um, so they, it just the, the chemistry between these two guys is amazing. To watch it from WrestleMania 15 to 17 to 18, uh, just the matches and like the, the way they, their characters evolved by the, by the end there, the rock was like, like pretty much a movie star and everything. He'd sort of come back I, for that Seattle WrestleMania spent a lot of time wearing the, like Steve Austin's vest. And so there was like a mixture of, of humor with like legit kind of heat, like legit competition that you can mm-hmm. tell, you know, they behind the scenes, they kind of were like, you know, pushing each other and just awesome chemistry. Like I love the, um, and yeah, still one of the best, Build up videos in WrestleMania history is when they do Limp Biscuit My Way with the whole promo packages of uh, you know Austin giving the Rock bottom to the Rock, the Rock giving him the stunner to Austin. Some of the best build ups and just these two guys, like man, to have these both these guys in the Federation at the same time and to have a trilogy of main events at WrestleMania, it's you know how is it not higher? Uh, well, I guess you'll see. Like the the, uh, yeah. the ones on the list above it are, are are pretty pretty damn cool too. But yeah. Austin Rock Trilogy WrestleMania. That's my number nine. Yeah. And I think a lot, maybe it isn't for everybody, but I think a lot with Austin not coming back is he was smart enough to diversify his money where he didn't have to come back. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, The Rock yeah. doesn't have to come back, but a lot of these yeah. guys flare and they keep coming back because they need the money. Like they have they not spent their money yeah. <laughs> wisely or invested it or made enough to just sit back and truly retire. Like the guys that yep. 
you don't see are the ones that were smart with their money and, um, you know, uh, Haku Meng, whatever you want to say, you know, he bought a car dealership and, you know, he was one of the guys you thought would wrestle forever because he's meaner than a fucking whole yard of pit bulls, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Terrifyingly. Um, but yeah, Austin Rock, that is a great one. My number nine, uh, kind of, we'll go back to what I said a minute ago. Um, it was the storyline between Nikita Koloff and Magnum TA. Ooh, um, good one. Yes. Magnum TA obviously was the super face at that time. He was the American hero, the biker type. Um, if, you know, like very Sam Elliott-ish in a lot of his character mannerisms and everything. When I see Sam Elliott, um, even now, that's one of the things I always think of is, is Magnum TA because he just, um, it's actually been said. And I think Sam confirmed at one point that his character in Roadhouse, uh, basically was loosely based on Magnum TA. Um, really? Magnum was actually a bouncer before he became a wrestler. And I a lot of the that. look, the mannerisms, everything was very, very Magnum TA-ish. Um, Nikita and, and Magnum put on some ferocious matches, man. Just beating the hell out of each other. Um, kind of came crashing down. Magnum had that horrific uh, motorcycle accident with a car slammed into him and pretty much almost ended his life, but uh, Mm -hmm. pretty much being built like Lex Luger saved him because he had so much muscle mass and all that. that, um, But it still ended his career and kind of ruined what would have been a a really massive thing for, I think, both of them. Um, So, uh, yeah, Nikita versus Magnum TA, man. Uh, Two guys that were meant to fight. Uh, you know, you had the Russian versus the American hero um, during a time when Russians were still the bad guys. Um, yes. You know, yeah. and, and nobody, there have been a lot of Russian characters in wrestling, but none of them were anywhere near Nikita. Like, Nikita was just nice. a, yeah. a terrifyingly imposing figure, yeah. man. Um, yeah. You know, Goldberg on steroids, man, is, is all you got to think of, you know. Um, right. So, yeah, that's my number nine. Um, nice. So I like it. Number that's eight. Cool. That's cool. So number eight, and this is tough to have so low in the list as well, but uh, again, it will reveal itself later as to why. Mega powers explode. So for me, uh, this one was the first sort of like insight into what wrestling can be as far as uh, storylines. And Macho Man is so phenomenal and kind of underrated with the his ability to um i guess to, to forward a story he's kind of known for his zany promos and obviously his in-ring skills and such but he's actually like especially with elizabeth and sort of the blending of reality and like the fact that he is quite paranoid or from you know from what i hear it's not kind of personally speaking like i am right. but uh, from what you hear is he's very uh, protective and paranoid over Elizabeth. So to be able to um, show some of that energy towards Hogan and him and Hogan always had a love-hate relationship. 
And the whole thing in the back, I remember seeing it, uh, the whole thing where, like, Elizabeth had been carried to the back by Hogan. Macho Man comes in and confronts him. It just looked so real. It looked so... Uh, and it was like, man, you're watching, like, a real, like, confrontation uh, involving... And, you know, Jesse the Body Ventura, the, kind of the first heel commentator, you know, stirring the flames as well, kind of going, yeah. Oh, Hogan, yeah, like, kind of going, Hogan is... Hogan had his eyes. Did you see what he did with Elizabeth there? You know, like really, uh, you know, helping tell that side of the story too. So well done, and then obviously it led to you know the mega powers, the whole initial mega powers coming together with like that handshake that they do, where they kind of like their hands are kind of, and then they finally do it, and like they, you know, so and you know those two guys coming together from like WrestleMania, it was kind of like a WrestleMania four to WrestleMania five story, right? Because Hogan helped uh, Macho get the the belts in WrestleMania four in that big tournament. And so this is back in the day where, you know, they would have a storyline that would go a year. And, you know, mm. it's like the long-term storytelling because they only had the four pay-per-views. So you'd kind of hit your plot points, you know, spread out over 12 months as opposed to hitting a plot point every week on a three-hour Raw or, you know, whatever it's told nowadays. So Mega Powers Explode was, was my first aha moment of what professional wrestling can be as far as um, kind of blending what you perceive to be reality with uh you know sort of like a some drama um you know some relationship drama and uh you know intentions and and uh making something super personal and uh, and then executing it with uh like a main event match at wrestlemania uh, and that's that's about as perfect as a, a wwf story can get in my opinion yeah um my number eight i will refer back to him I had Mega Powers explode at number eight, so um, nice. So nice. Uh, that's why I kind of laughed when you said that. So um, that's funny, man. That's so that cool. is that is one yeah. that we definitely <laughs> had at the same number. Um, that's super everything cool. he nice. said and more. Like it was really, you know, it was it was really the. I won't say it was the first, but it was one of the first time that two major face characters kind of turn on each other um <clears throat> even before the the Hogan Andre even before the Shawn Michaels even before um you know it was really two characters that just weren't popular they were mega stars um yeah so to do that with megastars is on a different level than just having uh, a face turn heel or a heel turn face. Um, yeah, you you yeah. didn't see it back then. It was it was pretty common that you know faces were faces and heels were heels, and you you stayed that way for a pretty long time unless something major happened. Um, Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that was really kind of shocking. It's not that you didn't see it coming. It was just one of them things you were kind of hoping that didn't happen, and it did. And, uh, you know, the storyline played out perfectly, uh, like he said. So, oh, so um, good. So yeah, good. so number Absolutely. eight, uh, Mega Powers Explode uh, is, is mine as well. Um, nice. So moving on That's to number funny. seven. <laughs> so, yes. So number seven, so these ones, uh, you know what, this is kind of, uh, I initially had, what, my number five, I'm just making a quick, uh, quick adjustment here, but uh, so number seven, I'm going to go with Daniel Bryan, and the, uh, sorry, the dogs are the background there, 
Daniel Bryan and his WrestleMania 30, the whole yes movement thing. Uh, so basically his, I, it would start with when he won the, the title at the uh, 2012, would it be? Or 2013 SummerSlam, where Triple H came down as the ref and, uh, or was the ref. And then the John, that old John Cena match, I want to say that's 2013, which was an amazing match. And, um, and then he, that was his first taste of, of gold. Triple H uh, turned mm-hmm. on him, pedigreed him. Uh, Randy Orton came down and cashed in money in the bank. And then there was this sort of like, man, they totally kind of botched it a bit as far as like they on again, off again. He'd be in main events. He kept getting screwed over. People were getting pissed off. Then they put him in the Wyatt family. And it was just like, man, I think they're trying to kind of like almost mid-card him or do something different here. And the fans just had none, none of it. So I remember specifically it was – right around or after Royal, I think it was right before Royal Rumble of 2014, it would have been then, uh, when uh, Daniel Bryan uh, turned on Bray Wyatt, and basically he was in the steel cage, and he like he pulled off the uh, the overalls he was wearing, and he kind of like snapped out of the trance he was in, and dude, it's like one of those goosebump moments, everybody in the audience was doing the yes thing, and then he confronted Bray Wyatt and beat him up, and it was nuts, and I guess uh, Daniel Bryan had got a concussion and doesn't even remember doing any of that and it was like such a phenomenal performance and then leading into uh the wrestlemania 30 thing it was a little bit uh a little bit overdone because he obviously had the first match of triple h which is an amazing opening match for the wrestlemania it was so good um and you almost feel sorry for daniel bryan because he, he, he took a friggin' thrashing and he was taking it slapped by stephanie mcmahon while he was handcuffed and it was re- it was pretty brutal pretty hard to watch uh, but that was, I guess, the point, right? Um, yeah. And just ending with the uh, with the whole evolution, uh, it was supposed to be Orton Batista, and uh, the crowd is just shitting on that, so it became a triple threat match. And, you know, there was the whole stretcher job. That was the only one that was like, yeah. it got a little bit much. That would be my nitpicky thing is like, he got carried on the stretcher, but then flopped off the stretcher and came back and still won. And then he's supposed to be beaten up, but he's got like two 20-pound titles and he's yesing and all that. But, dude, uh, that's like so nitpicky I, I kind of wish I didn't even mention that the the feeling and the vibe that you got from that that me personally is one of my favorite endings in Wrestlemania history I was like fuck nice. yeah that's a, that is cool man finally like the <laughs> right and he's going out and found uh, Connor the Crusher or whatever gave him a big hug like dude that is that is like one of the best feel good endings and stories in wrestling history in my opinion so I got Daniel Bryan uh, the yes movement building into Wrestlemania 30 main event uh, for number seven. Nice. Um, number seven for me, I have Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair. Um, oh. You know, storyline that played out over a number, over a decade. Um, some of the greatest promos ever delivered. Uh, Flair with his woos and different things he did. Uh, Dusty delivering the son of a plumber, uh, which is yes. possibly the greatest promo ever cut. Uh yeah. Basically because Dusty completely deadpanned that. Um, it was not pre-written. Uh, Dusty came up with that right off the top of his head. And That's awesome. Just absolutely nailed it in one take. And, um, you know, it was a different time in wrestling, man, when you really had to deliver. Like, there were no long days of shooting. There was no on-the-fly editing yeah. like now, like... Right. You know, like you had to be able to do it or you simply were not going to work. Um, and you had to be a tough son of a bitch back then because there were some guys back then that 
you did not want to mess with. Like, you did not want to waste yeah. their time. You did not want to be the reason that they couldn't get home to their kids. Um, right. Guys like Harley Race, uh, The Barbarian, and most of all, I mentioned them uh, a little earlier, uh, Meng Haku, uh, who yes. pretty much everybody will tell you is the toughest man to ever uh, walk into a ring. Um, you know, guys like that did not take kindly if you could not do your job. And you did not right. want to be in the locker room with them if they were pissed off. Yeah. So, right. um, you know, and that was only a few of them. Then you take into account guys like Vader, uh, guys like uh, uh, Randy Orton's dad, Cowboy Bob Orton, Harley Race. Um, I mean, there were some truly badass characters, Chief Wahoo McDaniels. Um, you know, so you, you had to be able to deliver during that time. And, and Flair and Dusty delivered some monster matches, 60-minute Iron Man matches that just kept you on the edge of your seat, back and forth, back and forth. Um, it was crazy. You never knew what was going to happen. I mean, you know, you had the horsemen that would get involved, and you had uh, Dusty's kind of group of guys that had Magnum TA was attached to Dusty, and you had... Um, a few others that um, it was just a great time in wrestling, man. It was it was the golden era, truly, and um, I think those two put on probably more matches than any other couple during a short period of time, and they would wrestle two or three times a day. Just wow, brutal matches. You know, these guys would, you know, they would they would wrestle in Ohio Valley and then drive to Memphis and then drive to Atlanta all in the same weekend and put on Crazy. Like three 60-minute yeah. matches. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, Crazy, that, man. That's, that's my so number great. seven, Dust, Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair. Um, Wait, call it the legacy so matches. Good. So good. So good. All number right. six. So, yeah, number six, I am going to go with, this is one of my personal favorites. Uh, if I was to do, like... You know, my I guess my personal top ten. I think this would be even higher. And it's uh, CM Punk as the whole like Money in the Bank 2011. I think it's so perfectly done. And again, it's like when you talk about. Uh, I always like the the blending of reality, especially mm -hmm. when you know trying to be kind of like an educated fan as far as like you know reading some of the Meltzer stuff. And and I know like some people you obviously shit on that. There's like some. It's like any other media. There's some that's. BS, it's some, but there's always like a little hints of truth to, mm -hmm. to things that are getting reported, right? So, uh, as soon as you get older and kind of get into that uh, side of the business, as far as that goes, um, you know, it's really cool to uh, to be able to kind of suspend your disbelief or go, wow, you know, all that other stuff was uh, was questionable or a little bit fake, but uh, you know, there's something about this that the, it's just ringing true. It, it still hits you in the uh in that uh you know it captures your imagination like it did as a child and that this plot line definitely did that this uh, this angle so the whole um i was always a big cm punk fan uh, as soon as i like i didn't know him in the indies but as soon as he came to what, that uh ecw reformation they did in mm -hmm. 2006 i want to say i was like i i liked the name i kind of liked his he was such a different uh you know presentation so I got behind him right away. I'm like, there's something cool about this guy. And just the audience, was just the groundswell behind him. I remember the, uh, I want to say Survivor Series 2008. He was on like the DX Survivor Series team. And the entire audience was cheering for, like chanting CM Punk. And I was like, wow, there's something about this guy. And you know, the whole Money in the Bank story and the back to back or whatever it was. And 
And anyway, so it ends up here, and he's kind of been mismanaged a little bit. The Straight Edge Society was cool, but it cooled off, and he's kind of by himself again. And then he starts doing this whole, like, I'm leaving, and, and you know, it's, I guess it's legit, like, just the way yeah. that the contract lined up, uh, as far as, like, his final night, or close to his final night, in Chicago, his hometown, um, and just the, the audience went berserk. I, it's rare that you see a wrestling audience be that 100% just... It was it was a what it, what an ovation and that's a goosebump yeah. moment for sure too, and so well done. You know, Vince comes down and kind of does like the Montreal screw job thing where he comes down and he's trying to ring the bell and it doesn't work for him. And CM Punk gets it and like the iconic, he's sitting straddling the uh, the guardrail and does like the blows on the kiss as he goes through the audience. Like that shit's amazing. And that's when you know Twitter's kind of getting its uh, getting its hooks and everything. So you know later on, uh, CM Punk tweets a picture of uh, the championship belt in his fridge. You know, because he, he went all the way home and just put the, the, the belt in the fridge and grabbed a drink. And he's like, you know what, that's a, kind of a cool picture and tweeted that out. Yeah. And, you know, everything that came after that was a little bit, uh, yeah, kind of is what, you know, d- typical WWE where they have something just gold that like they, they caught lightning in a bottle. And then uh, unfortunately weren't able to, to do the proper follow up. I don't know. He ended up having this weird rivalry with Kevin Nash. They came back and made no real sense. And Triple H beat him and. You know, some random stuff after that, but everything leading up to and including that Money in the Bank 2011, uh, the promos that he was doing where he'd bring the megaphone down and just doing the the, the mic battles with Triple H, and you could tell he was legit getting to Paul Levesque. Like, you know, like you could tell it was irritating him, and like you could yeah. tell they actually don't like each other. I still watch those interviews, and some of the stuff that he did with Cena at that time was just amazing. Like, Cena, I don't know, man, like, I, I think... If, you know, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder with Cena. A lot of people are now realizing how good John Cena truly was. I mean, everybody kind of, it was popular to, to kind of shit on him for his run, but so good on the mic. I remember there was one, yeah. st- one, one, uh, mic battle they had where he ends up doing, uh, C- Cena kind of basically was saying like, you know, everybody said they're going to knock me off. And like, I, I got to tip my, tip my hat to you. And he's like, he starts listing off all the opponents that he's had over the years. And you can just see CM Punk. He mentions Eddie Guerrero and CM Punk does like closes his eyes and does a big breath. And it's just like one of the best, like just real ad lib uh, promos of the modern time where yeah. just, those, these two guys are just ripping off each other. So uh, I'm, I'm a massive CM Punk fan. I'm so glad he's back. And they had a great match last night at time of recording. We had uh, MJF versus CM Punk last night on Dynamite in Chicago. So, and that was a fucking awesome match too. Cool, super cool ending, good storyline, uh, good, uh, you know, good finish to it and everything. So, um, but yeah, that's mine. Uh, CM Punk, Money in Bank, 2011. And of course, nice. that includes the pipe bomb. I didn't even yeah. mention that. That's kind of what, what set the whole yeah. thing off. <laughs> um, I, I love Punk. I think Punk, Punk come in at the tail end of the ECW thing. And I think, if Punk would have been one of the ECW originals or been one of the ECW guys that were there for the duration or the better part of the ECW days, I think Punk would have been a megastar um, mm-hmm. because he would have fit perfectly with RVD and Sabu and Sandman and totally. Tommy Dreamer and all of those guys. Like, he just, you know, he he was really made... <laughs> for that yeah. era, yeah, um, for sure. and I attended a, sure. a, a handful of the original ECW shows uh, where you would walk oh, in nice. the building and they would actually hand you. They would have shopping or they would have shopping carts filled with shit, 
and you would walk in really? and they would hand you something if you were in like the first <laughs> three rows because wow. that's what they did is they would you would stand there and then the wrestlers would just take the stuff from you and beat each other with it, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so you didn't know, like, when you walked in, were they going to hand you a, a cookie sheet? Were they going to hand you a, a, a cane? Were they going to hand you a cheese grater? Were they going to hand you a broom? Man. You know, and it's like, you walk in and they're like, why are you handing me a baking sheet? You're in the third row, yeah. right? Yep. All right. Yeah. They might take it from you. Uh, okay. <laughs> Cool. All right. That's, if they don't yeah. take it from me, do I take it home? Like, you know, is there a yeah, lost yeah. and found return? Like, what are we doing <laughs> yeah, here? Yeah. Like, I don't want to walk go home with a thirteen by nine cooking sheet. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, um, man, that's funny. That's but funny. yeah, punk was made for for that era. So, um, definitely. Yeah. Number six for me, I have the Montreal screw job, just because. Yeah. Uh, what really wasn't supposed to be a storyline kind of turned into a storyline that still gets referred to today frequently. You know, like you still hear it a lot on all of them. Like they will out of the blue they'll just kind of throw it in as a reference to something. Um oh, yeah. even now. So uh here it is what, twenty five it's like twenty five years later. Yeah. Twenty five years later, yep. Um yep. you know, you still hear that reference. Uh, which is not something oh, yeah. you hear a lot. Like you don't hear old storylines referred to a lot in no, it's um, a good point. Yeah, characters, but not storylines themselves. Like you're you're not going to hear sure. Cody refer to his dad fighting Ric Flair or something like that. Um, sure. So yeah. for them to bring up this this event is, you know, it's a cataclysmic event. You know, to oh hell yeah, still get yeah. and not just within the federation had happened in i mean multiple <laughs> wrestling entities you know you'll hear references to it i've heard a couple references in aew i've heard them in tna i've heard them in uh yeah. the nwa which is owned by billy corgan now um haven't helped her soul uh, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways yeah. uh, montreal screw job that's that's my number my number six so number um, six okay Awesome. So five. Here we go into the top five. So this one's challenging to have uh, a little bit lower, but um, again, it will make sense as we go through. Uh, the Undertaker undefeated streak at WrestleMania. Yeah. So obviously it's had a kind of a, a strange beginning, and uh, it wasn't really noticed. I remember, I don't think they even, I mean, they kind of mentioned it here and there. But Undertaker started kind of mentioning, I think, uh, the Ric Flair match. And that was, like, getting up there. You know, I was uh, in the teens by that point. Uh, for me, the money in the streak is, I mean, that was one of the main reasons I started liking or looking forward to WrestleMania is with the streak match. It became something kind of in and around that uh, American Badass time and, and forward. But for me, my top match of all time is, uh, is Shawn Michaels' Undertaker WrestleMania 25. And for me, that uh, that match was just so like so much stuff happened out of that match. Like as far as like the the, the close near falls and like the guys getting surprised at close near falls, kind of came from that match. There were I, there was legit. And dude, I don't know if you remember that one scary event where where um, Undertaker did like the uh, the swan dive, and the cameraman was supposed to catch him and totally did. And Undertaker bailed like onto the top of his head, and I legit thought he was going to count it out. 
uh, because I'm like, how can he even, like, is he dead? Is he broken neck or what? So the the, the two, and then you know, obviously, like, the Michaels last match, the, the following WrestleMania, that's when things really started getting interesting with the streak. And then, you know, Triple H for the next two years, and then the Hell in the Cell with Michaels as the ref, you know, and then the, the CM Punk, and, you know, I think you had a Bray Wyatt match in there. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate it ended up with the, the whole Lesnar thing. But, I mean, yeah. that was, like, one of the big, biggest shocking moments in WrestleMania history was the Lesnar beating the streak and the whole story around that. And, you know, uh, just I love the fact that it spans so long, whatever it was, 22 WrestleManias. And there's some crazy good matches. Like, one of the underrated matches would be uh, Triple H and Undertaker from uh, WrestleMania 17, I believe. It was a no-holds-barred match, and it was really good. Um, you know, so I, aside from, you know, some of the first couple stinkers there, they had, you know, giant Gonzalez, you know, some of these other ones. Uh, yeah, the Undertaker streak is, is just amazing. I don't think there'll ever be anything like it. Honestly, another underrated match was him and Edge at WrestleMania 24. That was a phenomenal match. Very underrated. I always found Edge to be, uh, um, you know, people obviously acknowledge him, but Edge is one of the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was a fantastic match. So that whole rivalry almost did the full year. Uh, ran parallel with Michaels and uh, Jericho at a like a full year rivalry. I remember that year was 2008. Had some those two rivalries on opposite shows, um, and it was just so well done. So yeah, Undertaker streak number five. Yeah, I yeah I, I still think about that match, and I guess I can see why they did it with Lesnar, but at the same time, I really still kind of think that moment could have been used to really launch somebody's career. Um, oh, yeah. Lesnar didn't need it, to be honest. Um, and, you know, it was really a missed opportunity, I think, for them to elevate at least one, maybe a couple of stars, you know, uh, whether it was a faction, whether it was a tag team, whether it was whatever. Um you know, it was really a missed opportunity, I think, on their part. And I don't know, I just, I understand that nothing lasts forever and whatnot and whatnot. But it just, I don't know, it was one of the moments that, obviously, the shock value was what they wanted. So they got that. Um, but again, just, to me, was one of the many <laughs> times that Vince has just, Completely, um, jumped the shark. Yeah, like, like just completely yeah. blew an opportunity to do something useful instead of just right. wasting opportunities. You know. Um, yeah, I so, agree. Yeah, um, number five for me uh, was Shawn Michaels heel turn, uh, where he basically yes. kicks Marty uh, through the barber shop window. Um, yeah, yeah. Because obviously WCW had the Rock and Roll Express, and uh, WWE had the Rockers, and they were pretty, pretty level. Rock and Roll Express had more experience and were more well established, but you know the Rockers had that energy. They had that same element that you loved about the Rock and Roll Express, and um, it was definitely a very shocking moment. It was one of the moments where. You know, you um, you don't see it coming, and you didn't see that yeah. one coming. Yeah. Very, they didn't yeah. telegraph that one, and 
of course, you know, you hear the story now of uh, Janetti kind of brought that on himself because he put all of that in motion with, you know, backstage politics and doing stuff that he wasn't, shouldn't have done, and pretty much pissed Sean off to the point where, you know, Vince gave Sean the opportunity and said, hey, down the road, if you want to be a singles wrestler. And Sean was pissed at Marty over some money stuff that Marty had pulled and gotten them into a tough situation with Vince. And Sean just kind of said, you know what? Why wait? Let's do it. And, <laughs> you know, so um, Marty, okay <laughs> Marty basically cut his own throat by right. being... Right. A dumbass, so, you know. Which would be a recurring theme for the rest of his career. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So, yeah. um, and Sean ran with it. I mean, Sean oh, took it yeah. and turned into a huge star. So, uh, kudos to Sean on that. You know. And you were talking about you know some of the classic Bobby Heenan, you know, uh, humor. Uh, I, I still love what he said. He's like, "What a coward." He tried to escape through the window. <laughs> Marty Janetti. Yeah. Oh, he tried to dive through the window. And then Grill Monsoon does, would you stop? He always does, would you be serious? Someone goes on. That's one of the greatest Bobby Heaton calls, in my opinion. Yeah. Look, Janetti, what a coward. Tried to escape through the window. Yeah. And, and again, so, like, you know, the Shawn Michaels heel turn is a perfect example of how a storyline is supposed to go. You know, like, this is... When you turn somebody and you launch their career, it's really the epitome of how it should go without all the twists and turns and different things. Like, it put him on a trajectory of where he needed to go without him ever falling to the mid-card, without him ever falling down out of favor or whatnot, for whatever reason. Um, It did what it was supposed to do. You know, it wasn't like a... We're going to push him, and then we're not going to push him. And we're going to push him, and then we're not going to push him. And we're going to push him, and we're not going to push him. It was just Sean, you know, became a star, and he stayed a star. Same with Edge, you know. Like, once Edge got that opportunity, there was no turning back from it. It was just Edge was going to be a star. Um, Completely. So, yeah, it was one of the times Vince didn't shoot himself in the butt. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. I get the impression that Michaels wouldn't have allowed that to happen anyways. He just seems like, uh, just from what you read or hear, even from him and others, like, there was just, you know, as soon as that the, the trigger's pulled, he's there's no way he's not going to, you know, right. propel himself. Well, I think it was, that's just his, his nature. Yeah, I mean, I think he's much like a few other stars that he's just too damn good not to be a star. Like, he was going to be a star no matter what. Like, you are either going to make sure. him a star or the people were going to make him a star and just force their hand to do it. Sort of like a Daniel Bryant thing almost where Vince didn't want to do anything with Daniel. That was plainly obvious. The Mm -hmm. audience made him do it because as much as they tried to bury Daniel, the crowd just got behind him to the point where Vince simply couldn't ignore it. (laughs) You know? Right. (laughs) So like, I think, I think even with Michaels though, like Michaels would get in people's ear as well, it's not even just the what? audience of them recognizing. He's going to get in Vince's be like, "Hey, man, like, why aren't you doing something with me?" I kind of get the impression he was very vocal, yeah. like a very uh, uh, strong and self advocacy, shall we say? <laughs> and that's the way you got to be. 
Like, look, if you're, oh, yeah. I mean, if you're in a locker room with 120 guys, yeah, you and you don't out. step up to to let it be known you want that opportunity, then you can't piss and moan yeah. that you don't get the opportunity. Like, look, true, yeah, it's true. Know. So, yeah, yeah. number sure. four. So number four, I went with I mean, you know, being a Canadian boy that I am, uh, I live just north of Calgary, so I'm going to go with a Bret Hart uh, thing. It, it led to the screw job, but I'm going to specifically focus on uh, the the better days before the Montreal screw job. So Bret Hart, I believe, did his strongest work of his career in 1997, specifically where he did the double turn with Stone Cold Steve Austin and ended up being a heel in America, but a, uh, a good guy for the rest of the world. And, uh, man, he had some some of his best matches, did some of his absolute best work. Uh, he was never really known as an interview guy, but I think he changed everybody's opinion in this, uh, I'd say, the 96-97, his final days in WWF run. He very much showed himself to be a uh, like a juggernaut on, on the microphone. Mm-hmm. I honestly think, and I might be a bit biased because I am such a Bret Hart fan, that Bret Hart was actually a little bit ahead of the curve as far as bringing the Attitude Era to WWF. Oh, and what I mean sure. by that is he was he was blurring the lines. He was starting to do that, like the swearing and grabbing Vince, outing Vince as the owner of the company, which hadn't really been done at that point. Uh, kind of jockeying. He was mentioning WCW on the air. He was mentioning how WCW had offered him a contract. He was starting to blend reality a lot more than anybody else was. And then his very edgy uh, rivalry with Stone Cold Steve Austin, where they were like, they were swearing. It seemed very... Um, out of character for the rest of what was going on in WWE, which was at the time, which was still very uh, gimmicky. There was Henry O. Godwin. There was some of these other guys like this. So uh, Brett came back and he, he started, was starting to do promos that were very much uh, reality based. And he was just, he was being himself. And I think there was all of a sudden he started getting into those, like the work shoots and the shoot promos that I was talking about. So to me, uh, Brett Hart was the guy that sort of ushered in and guided in the uh, attitude era well before there was even DX, like he was the, he himself and his rivalry with Shawn Michaels was sort of the genesis of DX in the first place. So I don't think uh, Brett gets enough credit for, uh, you know, his part in ushering in the attitude era. And let's right. face it without the screw job, there wouldn't have been uh, the Austin Vince thing. Cause Mr. McMahon wouldn't have become an on-screen character as he did. So again, that's all sort of, um, you know, off the same tree that uh, Bret Hart planted. So right. Bret needs a lot more. Uh, and doing that's like he was 40, like his absolute prime, um, hitting on all cylinders. His matches are amazing. His matches with like, the best matches that Diesel's had, uh, some of the best matches Undertaker's had. Him and Michael's, I mean, that is tremendous chemistry and just that, that uh, you know, that firecracker kind of, uh, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, again, blending reality and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, Hart Foundation 97. I loved seeing him reconcile with Owen as well because uh, they had had like that three or four year long standing rivalry. So it was super cool to see them reconcile working together. And yeah, me being a Canadian, I loved uh, the whole uh, Canada versus America thing there for a while, while it lasted. Uh, so that's my number four, uh, the 97 Hart Foundation reunion. Oh, okay. Um, so. Number four for me, I got Rock and Roll Express versus the Four Horsemen. Um, nice. Rock and Roll Express uh, are, will be, probably will remain my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, seeing them so many times live um, led to my love of ELO. I really didn't know who ELO was before them. 
I knew the mm. song that they would come out to, which is, you know, Rock and Roll is King. Um, no idea who the song was by. I just know that was one of the coolest songs I'd ever heard as far as an entrance theme. And uh, I was in the living room sitting on the floor one day watching it. They come out. My Uncle Marty wandered through. And uh, he's like, oh, he's like, ELO. And I was like, what? And he was like, their, their song, it's ELO. And I was like, that's ELO. And he's like, yeah. I was like, take me to the record store. And he was like, well, why? I was like, because I want that record. I like, I had no idea who sang it because, you, you know, they yeah. didn't ever put like little things. Hey, you know, entrance theme by such and such. Um, I just knew I wanted that song and I could never figure out who it was. And as soon as he told me, I that same day, like I had to go to the record store to have that electric light orchestra. That's record. cool, man. Um, That's cool. So, yeah. And, but but so many matches, you know, the, the scaffolding matches they had and the cowbell matches. And even it led to the singles matches between Rick and Ricky and Rick, um, which... Uh, funny story, my mother got us thrown out of the Saginaw Civic Center uh, during that run of matches. Uh, she is a lifelong, she has a lifelong hatred of Ric Flair. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. My mother would run Ric Flair down with a car, given three seconds of opportunity. Really? Yes. Uh, she took me to see the match. At uh, some point during the match, uh, Ricky kicked Rick. Rick kind of did his stagger thing. He went over the railing and landed in my mom's lap. And my mom reached out really? and just, pow, nailed what? Rick clean across the forehead with an open hand slap. Rick wow. turned around and looked at her like, <laughs> like, bitch, did you just hit me? And my mom was like, blah, 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 blah. She's in his face like a bulldog. And, of wow. course, security shows up. You got to leave. You got to leave. I'm pissed off because I'm, like, nine years old at the time. And I'm getting yeah, thrown yeah. out of a wrestling match. And I'm dying to see. Mom felt yeah. bad. Oh, um, but, yeah, my um, to this day, my mother is 70, 70 plus years old. And she has a hatred of Ric Flair, like. Um, you know, like I still mess with my mom. Like I'll walk into her apartment as soon as I open the door, I'll go, woo. And she's like, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, right. it's like, wow. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, rock and roll express versus the horseman, um, is my number four. So, um, that's cool. Yeah. Good stories, man. Really good stories on those. That's awesome. Okay. Number three. Getting up into number three. So yeah, these ones are tricky. These ones are tricky, but I'm gonna stick with what I wrote down here. So number three, I'm going with three letters. W O. (laughs) So I'm. I got that in there, dude. Like this. uh, That was um, very cutting edge. I mean, we just like, like I said on my my wrestling podcast, we did uh, '96 a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, in in Prince George, we didn't really get like we had TSN, which is a you know. sports network up in canada and it was very uh centric to wwf but by the time attitude era stuff started uh, picking up we started picking up wcw but i was such a wwf guy i always thought they were just sort of a cheap knockoff and i realized you know they were just getting a bunch of wwf guys and rebranding them and this is there's this nwo thing i acknowledged nwo but i was just kind of like 
Yeah, mm-hmm. not for me, right? So this is the first time I've ever really watched any of this NWO stuff. I kind of always heard about it in high school. People would be like, oh, you missed it. Like, this is what they did. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. But, like, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm a loyalist to WWF. So it was really cool to see, dude, like how WCW started 96 and then how when NWO came to be. Like, some of the crappiest stuff I've seen, some of the most painful pay-per-views to watch were early 96 WCW. And then to think the pivot, the shift that they had by like whatever that was summer of, of 96 and how NWO just like, you know, the, the Hogan heel turn, arguably yeah. the best heel turn in the history of wrestling. Uh, you know, like the, the way, what it did to the fans, what it did to the competition. Um, and just, again, the reality based kind of uh, dude, like there's nothing really better. Like, and NWO was tremendous until basically until, I'm going to say until like the Starcade 97 because like I got so that would include when I'm saying NWO angle that includes like Crow Sting. I know that's a you know far reaching, but that's part of that's a crucial part of this angle is, is Sting becoming Crow Sting, not wrestling for a while, and then leading up to the Starcade 97, uh, December 97 pay per view, which unfortunately for WCW uh, turned into a pretty big botch with the whole uh you know what was supposed to be a slow three count and it just confusing and sting i guess not being in good shape and hogan deciding he didn't want to drop the belt and yada yada all these other like folklore stories that attach to it bottom line is the the, the pay-per-view completely fizzled because of that main event and honestly man that was kind of the first hole in the in the dam as far as wcw going under because we just watched uh the january 98 Royal Rumble versus the January 98 WCW pay-per-view sold out. And you can really see the shift. WWE is about to get uh, super hot. They had Mike Tyson there. Stone Cold Steve Austin won the Royal Rumble. So you can kind of see that whole 83 weeks thing that's uh, always been fabled as far as uh, you know, WCW winning 83 weeks in a row for ratings. They still would for another few weeks after this, but you can really see... Um, why uh, WWF made a comeback and were able to uh, to reclaim the ratings. So, but from I'd say that mid '96 to basically Starcade '97, December '97, NWO was the hottest thing in wrestling. And uh, and and dude, it was it was fun to watch. It was edgy. It was like a fu to wrestling tradition. Yet, uh, you know, they were just cool, man. They're like the charisma. They had Dennis Rodman coming down with them. There's so much cool stuff about NWO, man. So that's my number three. Nice. Um, number three for me, <clears throat> kind of Hogan-ish. Um, I got Hogan, the Hogan-Andre um, oh. Sega. Um, yeah. Again, kind of like the Mega Powers thing. Uh, it was a colossal shift uh, when Andre uh, turned heel. You know, Andre was one of the most beloved uh, wrestling characters through many ages, so the heel turn was major. Uh, Heenan made it even greater, um, and it was just, again, the way it was supposed to be done. The matches were well done. You know, you had the whole body slam thing. Uh, WrestleMania three. I was in attendance for that match, so I did get to see Hogan wow. uh, slam Andre the Giant. Um, That's crazy. Ninety so cool. nine, nine, They said ninety three thousand. I think it was a little less than. I think it was like ninety two thousand four hundred something like that. But um, still crazy. Yeah, I mean it was it was ninety thousand plus people 
uh, the Pontiac Silverdome, um, which isn't standing anymore, unfortunately, uh, but it is the site of some of my greatest memories. Uh, Pink Floyd That's 87, uh, Monsters nice. of Rock, WrestleMania 3, um, half a dozen things that I've seen there that were, you know, colossal shifts in my way of thinking or love of some yeah. form of art. Um, but that was one of them. I mean, it was a packed house, man. People, as far as you could see, um, you know, it was, it was crazy. So, um, you know, when you're 11 years old, 12 years old, uh, to go to the show and see people that you'd only watched on Friday night, you know, Friday night main yeah. event. Um, it was a huge thing. And, uh, Cost my old man a crap ton of money. <laughs> like, oh, know, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Those tickets were expensive, and, you know, back then money was, it wasn't like today. Man. They just didn't throw money around yeah. back then, you know, so. Sure, um, sure. For your old man to spring for those kind of tickets, it had to have been something pretty damn special. And uh, I was very lucky to have been there for that one. Um, oh, but what yeah. a great storyline altogether, you know, leading up yep. to including, um, you know, they kind of duplicated it a little bit when they did the Luger Yakazuna thing. Um, right. Yep. So, yep. Um, closest. Yeah. So, um, just a, a a colossal shift in in I think a lot of things in WWE uh, started with that and kind of went from there. Um, oh, big time! So, big time! Yeah. So that's my uh, number three is the Hogan Andre uh, saga. <laughs> you got some uh, wicked stories, man! I can't believe you you were actually at WrestleMania three. That's yeah. so badass. That's so cool. Yeah, it was so it was cool. crazy. Like I was, yeah. it's it's kind of it was kind of scary, truthfully, because there were so many people, and I don't like massive crowds. Um, right. But I had been to the Silver Dome for so many Detroit Lion games. Um, okay. And other concerts. What was crazy about that particular show is we had never been there to anything that was near as many people as what that was. Um, Dude. Yeah, generally concerts, you know, they, they set the stuff up on the field and then you're in the stands and the same with the Lions games and all of that. This was, the ring right. was in the center and they had people from the ring all the way out, all the way up to the, the damn, you know, bubble ceiling. Um, and it would literally wow. was just shoulder to shoulder just a massive wall of people, you know, so it was more Crazy. people than yeah. I had ever experienced in one place. Um, right. by right. probably eight or nine times more than I'd ever experienced in any one place at that time. Yeah. So, you know, for a 12 year old kid to, who grew up in a 400 acre farm in a town of 800 <laughs> to suddenly Pretty be inside the stadium with, you know, yeah. almost a hundred thousand people. Um, yeah, it was crazy, you know, like oh, yeah. it was profound impact on your life. I'm yeah. Sure. Like, and it was yeah. loud and it was, you know, you had the lights and screens and it was, it was new. Like it was WrestleMania three. There had been a couple of them, but nothing, nothing like that. of that. Like even the first two paled in comparison uh, to the size and the money they spent on three. Like they, well, two. Yeah. Two is that one where they did it like the closed circuit. There's like three different cities they were in. So that was the first one where okay. they have this big friggin' massive stadium full of people. Like that's the first one they ever did that, right? So Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool, man. That's wicked. That's wicked. Number two. 
So number two for me is, uh, well, basically what kind of came out of the Montreal Screwjob, and we hinted at it before, the Austin versus Mr. McMahon saga. Uh, it's so entertaining, and it went on for, for arguably too long. Who knows? Who's to say? No, I, you know, I think the whole, thi- the whole thing was very entertaining. Uh, I loved it. Uh, you know, Vince McMahon as an on-screen character ended up being one of the best, like, villains. Like, he's almost kind of got, like, the silent movie villain blended with, uh, like, you know, so over the top. Like, he's just his mannerisms or he's grabbing his ear. And, you know, even, like, the uh, the higher power thing with, like, uh, the, the, the ministry. And he does the, it was me, Austin. It was me all along. Like, it's just like, right. what the hell? Like, just ridiculous. So the whole, uh, you know, it led to that steel cage match where instead of, like, the big blue cage, they painted it black. Vince takes that brutal bump off the top of the cage, like, breaks his tailbone or whatever on the table. Just hilarious stuff. And just the uh, the whole, um, this is, like, what propelled, you know, what Hogan Andre was to, like, that era. Mm-hmm. Austin Vince was to this era as far as, like, this right. is what propelled WWF into the stratosphere as far as, like, killing WCW Austin being the best-selling, you know, best-selling draw in wrestling history, uh, you know, with as far as uh, merchandise, everything else, tickets sold, like crazy, man. It's 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 uh, it's hard to say that this one isn't number one, but uh, right. you know, we'll we'll get to my number one. But yeah, that's it, man. Austin Vince is some of the best stuff that you can uh, possibly imagine. Nice. Um, my number two um, is what you mentioned at number three uh, was the Hogan heel turn NWO thing. Nice. Um, nice. Cataclysmic, uh, like you said, probably the greatest heel turn of all time. Um, one that you didn't see coming. Um, it, they were fortunate in the sense it was before, kind of before the internet where rumors couldn't like ruin it and all of that. So not many people knew about it. Nobody knew what was coming. Nobody really seen it coming. Um, it truly was kind of at an end of an era where they could do something like that without it being ruined by inside sources which uh, is a whole nother show and I'm I'm, I, I'm warning everybody right now there is a noise report episode coming up where I am going to be doing a solo show about inside sources and internet reporters because if I hear Adam Schefter's name one more time, I swear to God, I am going to go on the most napalm-filled rant of all time because I am so sick of hearing Adam Schefter's name with his "I'm the ESPN Internet Division reporter." Yeah, it's because you're not good enough to be a real reporter, you freaking hack. <laughs> Anywho, nice, we nice. won't get into that. Um, nice. You know, um, wrestling Pro Bowl on the guy here, yeah. Yeah, like, Hogan, the Hogan heel turn for me is um, my oh, number two. Um, beauty. So, let's recap. Uh, from 10 to number two uh, for him, for for, for Matt. Uh, he has Kane, the Kane character uh, with the brothers and all of that. Uh, number nine, he has Austin Rock. <clears throat> um, number eight, Mega Powers. Uh, explode um, Hogan and uh, Macho Man um, number 7 the Daniel Bryant Yes Movement uh, leading into uh, the triple matches with the titles and, and all of that um, 
Number six, CM Punk, uh, the money in the bank, which led to the pipe bomb, uh, which probably the second greatest promo <laughs> ever delivered behind the dusty one. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Number five, uh, we have the Undertaker streak um, ending, uh, which was pretty monumental at a time, a huge shock. Um, number four, I, I, I'll let you correct me on this. I had the Brett Stone Cold double turn, but you said it was the Brett Owen one is actually. Basically, the Heart Foundation of 97. Heart Foundation of 97. Basically, the the Brett is is good in Canada, Brett is bad in the States. Okay. Uh, Number three, we have the NWO Hogan turn. Uh, Number two, we have Austin McMahon uh, for him. Uh, So, your number one. um, Hit us with your number one. Number one wrestling angle of all time. You already mentioned it. I went with the, the Hogan Andre. And the reason being, I don't know if we'd be having this conversation if it wasn't for the Hogan Andre thing, right? So, yeah, I mean, you saw it firsthand. The, what what that did, that drew a, a crazy yeah. house. Uh, the whole, again, what we're talking, uh, you know, like personal, making it personal, Andre ripping the cross off of Hogan, I believe on Piper's Pit, uh, making it personal. Um yeah, dude. Like uh, Andre is such a star and such an attraction, and this really made Hogan and all the folklore around this match, as far as Andre up till the uh, yeah. the end there. Not necessarily knowing if you wanted to let Hogan body slam him, not knowing if he's even going to put him over. I mean, Hogan's pretty much outed himself as a lying piece of shit nowadays, but uh, <laughs> you know, but you know what? It still makes a good story. And right. honestly, um, it that, this kind of set off like the whole. You know, rock and wrestling, the whole '80s wrestling boom. This was the linchpin for that. So, yeah. You know, obviously you can say Austin Vince, but Austin Vince may have not happened had it not been for this. So I had to go with Hogan Andre, the WrestleMania three, the whole build up with that. As far as honestly, one of the only reasons we're probably doing this podcast has to do with that particular robbery. So I had that as my number one. So, um, my top ten. We'll recap them real quick. Uh, number ten, anything with Jim Cornette. Uh, whether it's Midnight Express, whether it was um, Stan Hart stuff, was just pretty much anything, the podcast, whatever. Um, Cornette continues to be, you know, the most entertaining man in wrestling, even though he's technically not really in wrestling, uh, <laughs> per se. Um, yeah. Number nine, Nikita Koloff versus Magnum TA. Uh, epic matches. Um, number eight, Mega Powers Explode. Uh, number seven, uh, Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair era uh, of the, uh, would have been the late 70s, most of the 80s, and into the early 90s. Um, number six, Montreal Screwjob. Number five, Shawn Michaels heel turn. Um, number four, Rock and Roll Express versus the Four Horsemen. Uh, matches upon matches upon matches. Um, number three, Hogan Andre, WrestleMania 3. Uh, number two, the Hogan heel turn. And my number one is actually your number two. Uh, mine is the Austin McMahon. Um, and I totally get your reasoning uh, for what you said, and it is very true. Um, but to me, I think the, just probably the greatest continued storyline over an extended period of time 
um, everything that come with it. The, the, you know, whether Hogan or sorry, whether Austin was a heel or whether he was a face, um, you know, the beer truck thing and the four wheeler thing and the smashing the DX tour bus and, you know, filling his Corvette with concrete. There were so many things that they did during that period that were so completely over the top that it just, you know, like you never knew what to expect next. Like how far are they going to go? You're like, he crushed the DX tour bus. Okay. Uh, what do you do next? You know, cause you just went really high with the bar so you can't come back next week and just be like, "Oh, we're just going to do a little backstage segment." Now you got to right. really up the ante, and that's pretty much what they did. Whether the Rock was involved, or whether Angle was involved, whether it was, you know, the the during the era with the Ministry, um, the one thing that was continuous was Austin was always just the fly in the ointment. Um, yeah. You know the the Austin versus, um, not Stevie Ray uh, Booker T match in the mm. grocery store. You know, oh, so good. Yeah, like okay. it, there was so many yeah. plot points during that mm-hmm. era. Yeah, that yeah. it yeah. just was so epic. You watched it just for that. Like you didn't care for about sure. anything else during the two yeah. hours or the three hours, as long as you got to see Austin. Yeah. Fuck something up, <laughs> like you know, yeah, like, yeah, preferably yeah. something to do with Mister McMahon. Um, yeah, you know the the McMahon in the hospital, and Austin shows up at the doctor and starts oh, beating yeah. him with the bed bedpan. You know, yeah. stuff like that. Oh, That's why you hurt. watched WWE yeah. during that era. Oh yeah, so Guaranteed. um, yeah, uh, he, he gets the phrase "what" over like what? Yeah, you know, like man, yeah, yeah, he could do anything at that point. Yeah, yeah. and that's nice. nice. That's what kept me. As, as a fan, even during the times when they had the dumb storylines like, you know, Santino Morella and, <laughs> and junk yeah, like yeah. that. Of, you know, just the, the Katie Vick. Yeah. yeah, you know, the the uh, May Young. Uh, Gives uh, birth to a hand. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just the, you, yeah. you, you sat through that so you could get right. to the. You know, Austin, Austin is, Rock yeah. or Austin Booker T or Austin McMahon or Austin oh, yeah. Undertaker, yeah. whatever it was. Generally, it was going to sure. have Vince McMahon somewhere in the mix or Shane in the mix or, yeah. or Stephanie yeah, yeah. in the mix or something. But um, that was when it was, you know, now the only Austin we get is freaking Austin Theory who, you know, yeah. they uh, we're going to push Austin Theory. Yeah, you're going to push him so much, you gave him a recycled gimmick that even Tyler Breeze, one of the more talented guys you've had over yeah. the last five years, couldn't make it work. Like, yeah, yeah. You're really going to get over with that gimmick, like, well, you know. <laughs> All right, so. Just um, that, but yes. Yeah. So that is our top ten. Um Ooh. We're at 90 minutes, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, yeah, man. Let me, end, or let me say thank you for doing this. This was a blast, and I really hope... It was fun. Um, yeah. We can come back. Maybe next time we can touch on uh, the gimmicks 
thing as opposed yeah, to dude. just storylines, but actual gimmicks themselves. Yeah, um, for sure. I would love that. But um, thank you for doing this. And um, yeah, as Anytime. always, Anytime. Um, this is the ish list. That was your top 10 all-time best wrestling angles and or gimmicks. Um, this is Mr. Matt Gardner. Find him in all of the places he said, Electric Soil Studios, uh, his podcasts, uh, Ground Level Falcons. Uh, go back. If you listen to my um, noise report, uh, there is a show there with him talking about the band and the new CD and all of that. Uh, it is a phenomenal CD. Um, that I promise if you are a fan of music, um, you will love it. So, um, appreciate that. Yes. Uh, you have an amazing day and, um, we'll wrap this up with that thought.